Hello and welcome to the SmackDown 6 podcast. We are covering Armageddon 2002 today. The end is near, but nothing to the podcast. We have a lot more coming up after this because we are covering the SmackDown 6 era of SmackDown on the podcast, a time when the in-ring performances, the wrestling itself, was maybe the most important it's ever been in the largest wrestling company in the world. That's from 2002 to 2004. That's the period of time we're covering here. We're at the end of 2002. And come with me on this this hellacious journey to cover the last pay-per-view of that year is my friend and yours, Chris Demetrenko. Chris, how you doing? Doing very well, Matt. And uh, you, the end is near, as the song goes in this pay-per-view intro here. Uh, well, Armageddon, that is the end time, is it not? It is. It was, they, they got away from it the year before because it was a little bit too close to home after the September 11th attacks, but... They went right back to it the next year. They said, you know what? We could talk about the end of the world and apocalyptic imagery and, you know, hellscapes and fire and lava. So they're happy to, the WWE was happy to go back to that well. And when did they retire that, Armageddon? I don't know. I, I think it was, it, it was, uh, it was changed over for tables, ladders, and chairs. So I think when that whole, uh, when they would do whole pay reviews based on just one match, I think that was probably the late 2000s, if I'm not mistaken. It's after our purview on the podcast. So I feel comfortable being ignorant on that level. Mm, I take, okay. I take fair, care of that. Fair. So I <laughs> would do that. So we're going to be covering Armageddon 2002, but uh, Chris, I love asking people on the podcast just just some questions here uh, mm-hmm. before we get started. So my question Fire for away. you, if you were a wrestler, what would your finishing move be? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, Previous people said power bombs. Uh, I, I talked about how when I was a kid, I invented a move called the mashed potato, which is where you jump on somebody and land standing up, which is now the coup de gras that Finn Balor does. So it's very satisfying that my childhood dream move has been <laughs> co-opted by the, uh, at least the time of recording, the NXT World Champion. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go with uh, the woman's right, uh, Lacey Evans' finisher. <laughs> what a name. No, That's a great no, name for I, I love that as a move name. I, as soon as I heard that, I was like, I, I just stood up and clapped when I heard Morrow say it. Well, you know what? Because it's just a punch, you can really apply it in all sorts of settings. So when when the big show uses it as a finisher, I always refer to it as the woman's right. Yeah. Actually, it, I, it should be called the woman's white because he's Paul White. Paul White? That would make perfect sense. Well, yeah. Actually, so, it would be very confusing for to have the move called the woman's white. They'd <laughs> be like, wait, why is it called that? It's yeah. a lot of so, unpacking. To, to be honest... You know, I've I've always loved um, the moonsault. Um, oh, yeah. it's, it's quite simple. Um, would it actually be my finisher? I don't know because it looks terrifying. And it I does. mean, that's and that's, yeah. and that's even the light move on the on the end of the aerial scale. Like Vader can do a moonsault, um, but I don't think I could do it without breaking my neck. It does seem a little bit scary. Whenever people do it, I'm always like, I don't, I don't know. But they're very confident about it. All mm-hmm. sorts of people. Mm-hmm. Bill DeMott, sometimes in this podcast, the former Hugh Morris, has got on, has re- in recent weeks been on the uh, on the top rope throwing out moonsaults. So there you go. So maybe moonsault if you could bear to not be terrified during it, which I think is yeah. a good picture there. Mm-hmm. So on last week's episode of the podcast, prepare for this week's episode. I'll, I'll run over last week. So in between all the various crimes committed on the show, like the Don Marie and Tory drama and the Scott Steiner issues, there were some moves to prepare for this pay-per-view we have today. Uh, Los Guerreros beat Chris Benoit and Billy Kidman to prep for the Eddie Guerrero-Chris Benoit match at Armageddon. And Edge and Kurt Angle battled their pay-per-view opponents, the newly rechristened A-Train and Big Show. So that was on last week's show. They really kind of did, did a couple things just to get everything set up for 
the show today. And then so usually before SmackDown, we talk about Meanwhile on Velocity because Velocity is taped before SmackDown. But it's a pay-per-view, so we have a live edition of Sunday Night Heat to talk about here. And so uh, on that fateful night, there was uh, a pretty messed up Jeff Hardy rolled up D'Lo Brown to get a victory there. There's some pretty rough botches there. Uh, I think someone at the time pointed out that Jeff Hardy's having some drug issues, which were uh, have, were kind of an issue for him for many years. And one of the reasons that he ended up leaving WWE around this time. And unfortunately, it did. It showed up in his in-ring performance, including here at Sunday Night Heat, which is a bit sad. Are I mean, you uh, what, what, what yeah. kind of botches was he? Are you talking about here? Like what level of botchery? Yeah, so like we're talking about like kind of where you're supposed to catch a guy doesn't happen, uh, where you try to like roll a guy up, just things just don't move smoothly, just like bad communication and just like the physical, like the things he needed to do physically just were not taking place, which is unfortunate. Now, I mean, can you imagine being the opponent of a wrestler who's got serious substance abuse issues when really your life is in their hands? That's just it, man. I mean, so many guys have talked about how it's all the trust. Even the guys who like seemingly don't like each other, are like, well, I still trust you to pick me up and not drop me on my head and kill me. Uh, but if you, know, if you remove that from the equation, it's like, oof, mm-hmm. it's nerve wracking there. So anyway, now, mind you, I mean, if he's been, you know, working like probably a large contingent of of the wrestlers, at least in that era, and maybe even today, did have substance abuse issues. Like when you hear about their stories after they retire, so. Right. I mean, I guess that's that was maybe um, uh, not so abnormal. Yeah, par for the course in some ways, which is, which is sad, which is a good way to put it. Now, that said, there is another, uh, speaking of moonsaults, there's a moonsault that happens later on in the show where someone lands almost on their head because they're not caught properly. And those were by two opponents who seemingly are not struggling with the same issues. So we will get to that mm-hmm. in the SmackDown main event. So, yeah, so the show that we're talking about tonight is Armageddon 2002. It aired live. It was not taped, unlike SmackDown. It aired live December 15th, 2002. Came to you from, I love the name for this, the Office Depot Center in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Just Don't you want to just go to the Office Depot Center? Doesn't it encourage you just to go cheer for whatever local team plays there? Man, they really, I mean, before it started, when they started naming these arenas after corporations, I mean, someone should have shut that down right from the get-go. At least that one. That one's boring. Like, two mm-hmm. cool ones. I mean, in some places, they're all right. I mean... In Canada, it is it's just become banks, pretty much. And, like, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, everything's Scotiabank. Yeah. The arena here, arena in Toronto, uh, all the friggin' Cineplexes are Scotiabanks. They own it. Technically, I... Yeah. Technically, I'm Scotiabank that vault. They actually have... Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Scotiabank okay. Theater. All right. Yeah. I don't know why, but it's like... I don't know. It's funny, because as soon as I found that out, I was like, oh, it's like... It's more legitimate, because it's more branding. Which is maybe stupid, but it's what I thought. My 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 lizard brain of consumer thought that. One of the things we're tracking on the show, by the way, is uh, regularly on the uh, podcast we cover TV ratings, and so uh, pay per views are bought by people. They're not uh, they're not TV ratings. So they have a buy rate, and there's a little bit of like I don't know, kind of like juju that goes on with the buy rate. It's kind of hard to calculate or figure it out, uh, or or I guess it's not hard to calculate because there's a number I'm going to tell you, but. I'm going to say it, and it's not going to be something that you can immediately in your head be like, ah, of course, that number means this. So, yeah. So, the buy rate for Armageddon 2002 was a 0.87. Uh, so, Survivor Series the month before did a 0.86, which was pretty much even, which is surprising because Survivor Series is a much bigger favorite than Armageddon is typically, and yet it did really well. Inventions 2001 did a lower rating, 0.78, and that's surprising because they crowned the Undisputed Champion there, too. 
I don't know. I don't know. The show seems like it was maybe surprisingly successful unless Survivor Series Month 4 was terrible. So who knows? Uh, it's an interesting show to get into, uh, at least in terms of like, I don't know if I, I was trying to think about it, Chris. I was like, would I have bought this show? Like, I, I, I'm sure I did buy the show at the time. But like looking back, would I have been encouraged by what I saw on the card to be like, yeah, I want to buy that. Would this be a show that you'd be interested in if I wasn't like, hey, Chris, do it for the podcast? To be honest, no. Um, yeah. I mean, there were some, we'll get into it, some some obvious real highlights. But I think if you look at the card and, uh, um, you know, the two main events being Big Show Angle and then Shawn Michaels Triple H um, in that best two out of three falls match, um, which doesn't sound particularly appealing to me. Um, I don't know. I probably would have decided to wait uh, for um, 25 years until the invention of the WWE Network. Yeah, it's a good thing to wait for. It is, yeah. it is, it is a very satisfying way to watch a pay-per-view. And so, yeah, so let's get into it. This week's episode of the podcast covers Armageddon 2002. And the opening video package features classy Freddie Blassie. They would, they would roll him out every now and then to talk about stuff. Especially when there was kind of, uh, I think at the end of the invasion, he was doing things. He talks about kind of these apocalyptic sort of things. And so Freddie Blassie's talking about Armageddon over these images of war, explosions, all sorts of kind of Terminator-esque post-apocalyptic imagery. Wait a minute. There's a commentary on Armageddon? Like they actually sort of get into this? Kind of. A little bit. They just kind of talk about like, I don't think that they're, they're not like quoting Revelation or anything like that. But they're talking about this idea of the end of time and I don't know. It's kind of, it's not, kind of a, not at a very deep level, I guess. No, it's like an action movie level of talking about Armageddon. Yeah, clearly I didn't watch the pre-show here. I I I, I missed some interesting content. Well, wow. <laughs> you missed images of bombs launching and then dropping and exploding while it was intercut with shots of Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Kurt Angle, Big Show, Brock Lesnar, all that sort of thing. And the the important thing is that the song that they play over it is the, is that the end is here song, which they they use a lot. Um, I think they used it for Judgment Day too. Like they used it. It's funny because Judgment Day and Armageddon are two pay reviews they have that are both about pretty much the same same idea. <laughs> the end of time. Wait and, a minute. Is yeah. Do they call it this because it's the last pay per view of the year? I've always took it that way. Yes. Oh. That's what I, I have always, no idea. Yeah. I mean, it could just as easily be called that. It could be called anything, right? Like it, it could have been No Mercy, but I've always took it Armageddon to be like, oh yeah, end of the year. It's the mm-hmm. end of things. It's like this end times, which is also funny. It's because it doesn't really occupy that place on the WWE calendar because the Survivor Series exists, and then there's Armageddon or the December review, and then Royal Rumble, and so like Royal Rumble is the beginning of things. But I don't know. I guess it's I guess it may technically be the end sort of thing. But it's it's kind of just a stopping point for most of these shows. Well, not really. I mean, WrestleMania is is the end of the WrestleMania is the end like year for WWE. And they treat them afterwards reset. as this new beginning, too, right? Yes. So I think that's a, good, that's a good point, too. So they should rename that arm again. No, they shouldn't do that. <laughs> One thing I did like about it is that part of the song, it goes, to the end is here, the game is over. And when it said the game is over, show Triple H. And I was like, clever, he's the game. Good job, mm-hmm. guys, in the video package. And then uh, <laughs> the video package ends, and then we get an ad now. Rod Smackdown present WWE Armageddon. And there's a, a CGI battlefield with this weird... Uh, you know, skeleton goop guy who goes running by. It's just a very weird little piece of animation they include in there. Why not? And uh, Pyro goes off, and we're live in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And we get our first glimpse of the set, which is this big metal frame A hanging on top, which is almost hard to see at times. And then there's these two sheet metal walls, or kind of, they look like sheet metal, I guess. 
And at either side of the entrance, it says Raw and SmackDown, which I didn't, I wasn't like crazy about that because it's like, don't remind me of the TV show. Like, I bought the pay per view. Like, show me the cool stuff, right? Now, that said, those sheet metal boxes have fire in them, which burns throughout the show. There's also fire on the ground on the back wall of the entrance. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, they're just like spending a lot of money on gas they're burning, I guess. Like, I don't know. How, how do you just have that much open flame in an arena and, and have it safe? Uh, I mean, were they con- that concerned about safety? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> if if other things lit on fire, that would only add to the spectacle, really. It's, tr- it's true. Fire does come into play during one of the matches tonight, too, uh, which is uh, which is an interesting thing there. And, uh, and and Kane does something cool with fire, too. Very Kane-like sort of thing. And so after the pyro goes off, JR welcomes us, and we see the crowd in Florida, as well as the crowd at the World in New York City, which is the, the restaurant that they had there. Chris, are you familiar with the World as a concept? I vaguely remember it. You know, yeah. I, I didn't recall it at all until I saw it um, in this pay-per-view. Yeah, I think that in in another world, in a more perfect world, uh, Chris, I, I think obviously COVID is over. The world still exists. And you and I are podcasting live from there with like some nachos or something as some random WWE content shows behind us. I think that would be the only kind of right and just thing in the world. As a waitress comes by and asks us if we like our Hulk nachos or something. Well, when I can sit in a restaurant again, I I don't think my first choice would be a WWE branded restaurant. How dare you? It's 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 a pretty terrible <laughs> like concept. Like if you think it, well, you, yeah, you could you could really like attach the WWE brand to a whole lot of things, but fine dining is not one of them. Yeah. Do you want to be in a restaurant eating food next to the people you smell at wrestling shows? I don't know that you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, a famously not not the, the nicest smelling people. Uh, so, yeah, so we will return to the world in New York City. Not, unfortunately, not you and I, Chris, but uh, in, during the, like, the show, we will get there. And so we open with a, a fatal four-way elimination match, the world tag team titles. This is a Raw match. And so the champions are Chris Jericho and Christian, newly uh, newly AEW-ified Christian. Uh, I guess it's an all-AEW team, now that I think about it. And they were going up against Lance Storm William Re- and William Regal and also Booker T and Goldust and the Dudley Boys. So this is the raw match. And so we don't really cover these all that thoroughly. Uh, and usually what I say is I'll just kind of skip to the end so we know, you know, what happened in the match, at least, but not like the details of it. But this is an elimination match. I'm also going to cover the, the eliminations, too. Curious about that. So I noticed that the World Tag Team titles uses the outdated design for the belts, um, which is funny because, like, they've had those old belts, the, the new belts, since I think Survivor Series, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it reminded me of how they used the wrong cruiserweight belt for a long time on SmackDown too. This is weird inattention to details that I find funny on the show. I would I would prioritize that if I was them. Mm-hmm, absolutely. This is graphics here. So I was excited for this because it's like, okay, the Dudleys are in this match. I wonder, do they win the titles here? What happens? Uh, no, the Dudleys get eliminated first. And there was this really, paint, speaking of botches, there's this incredibly botched roll-up from William Regal. And so he was supposed to roll Bubba up. But he ends up, he rolled him up so much that he himself got rolled up and said, like, flopped over. And so he had to, like, he, it, it took forever. He had to readjust, and then he covered him again. Only there was, like, no element of surprise. He just got rolled up again, and the Dudleys were eliminated that way. Very pathetic. It was a... Yeah, very- yeah, it was it was not impressive. Um, I mean, Regal, credit to him, had a really long career. Possibly oh, the most successful dad bod in in wwe i don't know how how someone with like with that yeah it is a strange torso i mean i i mean maybe we shouldn't be judging other people's torsos 
Um, I don't have. He wasn't torso. fast. It was just the way his it, the way it was shaped. Like he was always in pretty good shape. It was just like his actual like dimensions were like, yeah, he totally had like if you're if you're like friend's dad took you to swimming, you'd be kind of like, okay, that's not what my dad looks like, but that's kind of strange. He he kind of seems like a a not very good drawing of a human being. Right. <laughs> he's like a kid's depiction of it. <laughs> yeah, but he's real. He's funny. Just a little bit off. Sorry, yeah. William. And yeah. the side part, he still has the side part. Terrible He's... hair. <laughs> I think I don't mind his hair. I like it. I like his look. He just seems very, very British with that. Uh, and William Regal factors into the next fall because Goldust power slams William Regal and covers him to eliminate Storm and Regal almost instantly. So those, both those teams are gone. And as soon as that happened, I was like, "Did you really want this to be a fatal four way match, guys, or did you want to just book a straight tag match?" Because that's the vibe I'm getting. Is that you want to just get that over with? And so later on, we have the true ending of this match. And so Chris Jericho, he tries to hit Booker T with a belt, um, which as soon as it happened, as soon as he tried to do it, I was like, wait, hmm, this is a Fatal 4 elimination match. If you get disqualified, does that eliminate you? Because I know the title can't change hands on a, on a disqualification, but can it change on an elimination, which can end on a disqualification? Am I going Am I going too deep here? <laughs> like, does yeah, that, make, do, that is, that is actually a conundrum. Like, what would they What would they do in that scenario? Yeah. I mean, I think they'd have to keep keep it on the the current title holders. I know, but even that that, that seems wrong to me too. Because okay, in an Iron Man match. Like, if you and I were to have an Iron Man match, Chris, and first off, we would, it would be a very sporting competition. We'd shake hands. I'd look forward to the whole encounter. You could pin me three times, mm-hmm. but you could also get disqualified four times, and I would win the belt because it's just points in an Iron Man match. That's true. Mm-hmm. So you, it would just be four three, and so it's like, oh, I can't change channel eliminations, but it's like, or on, on disqualification, rather, but it kind of can. So I'm always kind of looking for those thing, th- things they would never do because it's very confusing, but it's like, technically, that's not how this match works the same way, so... I don't well, know. I think, I think most of WWE um, falls apart the moment you kind of think about it for for more than a, than a, than a couple it, of minutes. They, they don't really good, worry I, about making yeah. sure the rules are are consistent and and that it would actually sort of play out uh, in real life in 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 a sensible way. And I think that's actually one thing that's endearing about it. Yeah, there's some things that make me mad. I think there's a couple of things on the show specifically where it's like. It's like, okay, you can take me for a ride because I'm along for the ride, right? Like, I mean, and right. it's just like it's just like a movie where you're like, I'm here, I'm willing to, I'm suspending my disbelief, I'm willing to go for it. But if they do things that take you out of it, it's like, oh, I'm giving you, I'm willing to sacrifice how silly it is to see two men pretend to fight and you're betraying me with foolishness. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess that's one way to look at it. Yeah. Now, now this match has pretty clean ending otherwise where Booker T dodges the belt shot, regardless of what would happen to him if you get connected with it. And he hits the bookend, which is kind of just like a rock bottom on Chris Jericho, and he gets the one, two, three. And it gives the uh, the team of Book Team Goldust. Book Dust, I think, might have been what they were called a little bit at the Book time. Dust, that's right. And it gives them the, the tag team titles, which they were chasing for months. Like, they probably should have won them at, like, No Mercy or something, but they, they won it here instead. And afterwards, Coach talks to Booker T, who asks if we can dig that sucker. And they don't really do interviews like this anymore. Like, we're, like, after the match, they're just, like, outside and talking to them. I mean, they had Trish Stratus do one a couple months back on the show as well. But uh, they get they got away from a post-game match kind of, uh, you know, interview. It seems like a, like a natural place to do some stuff and expand some storylines and celebrate things. You, I mean, if they went away from that, they have come back to it. Because you see now yeah. when, when face champions win, occasionally Charlie Caruso runs in with the microphone to get sort of the um, the, the reaction 
And I think it was because we were supposed to be kind of, I don't know, um, uh, emotional for book dust right. uh, that they finally get their due. I read a little bit about this. Lance Storm recently revealed on Twitter yeah. that he and Regal were booked to win the match, but they felt that book dust would be too bad, too damaged by the loss because they already had some failed attempts to win the titles. Okay. And, yeah. uh, and so throw the belts on them for a few months, knowing that, you know, eventually um, Regal and Storm would probably get their due. Interesting. I love that's a that's an interesting detail there, and it's to, it's totally true by the way that idea that it's a good option for a face champion to have this little interview afterwards, a little celebration thing. I wouldn't mind it if a heel did it once and they just like gloated. That would be funny. Oh, uh, for sure. Before poor poor Lance getting uh, knocked over, but that's that's interesting, right? That's a consideration of these things they have to do. It's all they're all they're managing assets, right? I mean, it's kind of like a real sports franchise in that same sense where they want to make sure things are valued and being taken care of. And so it's interesting that uh, yeah, you lose sometimes you don't get a title you're supposed to think you're supposed to get. And okay, so starting at this point of the show, when Jr. and King throw to Taz and Michael Cole at ringside, there's this weird detail I noticed, which is the next 52 minutes of the show of this pay per view are exclusively SmackDown wrestlers and storylines, which is super long for a dual branded show because usually it'd be like SmackDown match, Raw interview, SmackDown interview raw match it would just go back and forth right because they want to kind of keep things fresh and everything like that but no for 52 minutes from from on the wwe network from 27 minutes until an hour 19 there's no raw match or segments or anything in there it's just all smackdown it's pretty much the meat of our our show for the purposes of this but i thought that was curious did you pick up on that that it was all smackdown uh Actually, I think I did in the sense that I, I thought it was because I, because of the podcast, I was paying attention mostly to the SmackDown matches and kind of expecting that I was going to maybe skip through some of the raw ones. And I didn't have to do any skipping for this long period of time. Yeah, there you go. So you have that, that experience there. So yeah. totally weird. I don't even know how I noticed it. Probably a similar thing. I think I was just going through. I think I looked through the little like time strip they have at the bottom with all the things that right. happened. And I was like. Yeah, no, strange. I'm not, I, I, you don't get a break, which is fine because it's good. So uh, we see an interview here with Josh Matthews. He talked to Brock Lesnar on Heat. And Brock's first question is to ask who Josh Matthews is because he's <laughs> I think, very new on the scene at the point. Um, I think now he's on Impact, but he was, he's been around for almost 20 years now, which is wild to think about. I don't know. He was asking, Brock was asking the question that was on my mind. Right. Uh, who are you? Uh, to me, he looks like he could be the third member of the Hardy Boys. Uh, Josh yeah. Matthews had kind of has this like cool, like young guy look with like the necklace and like, I, I believe there might've been frosted tips and, yeah. uh, yeah. So, uh, try to appeal to the young generation. It's true. He's he on the show. He always kind of comes across a little bit dweeby though. And I say that with respect to uh, to a guy like his vibe is kind of like, because he, he wears all that, but he's like, Hey, so I have a question for you. And it's kind of like, all right, like, like you're not, uh, you're not exactly projecting a confident interviewer thing. Um, but yeah, so Brock asked the question, and then uh, and then he says, all I got to say is tonight I'm going to make an impact, which is funny because he's on that impact right now. I also like that Brock Lesnar is so Minnesotan. He says, all I got to say. You just can't, can't knock out of that guy. And Michael Cole, then he wonders if Kurt Angle uh, will have Brock Lesnar in his corner tonight. So we will see about that. He may show up. Mm. Next up, we have Edge versus A-Train. And uh, so, Chris, one of the things I noticed, uh, I noted on the show last week is, for whatever reason, the WWE Network cut out the segments of SmackDown where they rebranded Albert as A-Train. 
So on the broadcast that originally went out there, people saw Paul Heyman say, this is A-Train now. But if you watch all the network, that just doesn't come up. At the beginning of the show, they call him Albert. At the end, they talk about A-Train the whole time. <laughs> like, what? Changed his name. You know, A-Train is just such a lazy rebrand. It's like me giving you the nickname M-Dog, you know? Yes, I thought of M-Dog, too. That was my, 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 my go-to thing. Yeah, it's, it's just like, oh, what are we going to call this guy? Uh, you know, um, so a year ago when he was with Scotty Too Hottie, he was known as the Hip Hop Hippo. And <laughs> I think that was way cooler. But this new rebrand with Paul Heyman, I'm, I'm really trying to imagine the meeting in creative where someone floated the idea that he should get this name and that the rebrand should coincide with him growing out his back hair. I don't know if he grew it out or if he just was shirtless. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, I think maybe. okay, I think just... no, but you know what? In two thousand and one, because I was checking, yes, two thousand and one, he has like his back is as smooth as a baby's bottom. Really? Okay. Well, because I remember him wearing a shirt, but I can see him being shirtless too. That would make sense. And plus, I imagine. I mean, wrestling is so much like you see. You see, like people's bodies in wrestling. You're kind of like, or at least men specifically. You're like, huh, no hair there. And it's like, yeah, unless you're Shawn Michaels, you're just going to like wax or shave it all off. And so I could see a scenario where A-Train is constantly shaving his back or, you know, or, or waxing or whatever. And then he's like, I don't know, in the locker room. And he's like, oh, man, I can't believe I have to do this so much because I just I have a completely crazy amount of back hair. And someone was like, what did you say? That could be a character. <laughs> exactly. Because it factors and, in. And I guess back hair is supposed to make you more of a heel character mm -hmm. it's certainly not endearing and the crowd ends up saying um shave your back as a, oh, as yeah. a chant and why should the crowd care about his hair i mean are they really saying that it makes them uncomfortable to <laughs> right. see that and they believe he's intentionally trying to make them uncomfortable Right. Um, are we jeering him for this because it doesn't correspond to our ideals of beauty? I feel right. like there's a whole lot going on here with the shave your back chance and and with the aesthetics of like back hair in, in general and and other hair, as you mentioned, you know, like who gets to have hair and who doesn't? Yeah. I mean, first off, I have to say. I, I don't like that having back hair makes you a heel. Uh, I say that as a man with back hair, I, I would have, I, you know, to know that I, I, every day I wake up and look at myself in the mirror and I go, you're a bad person. Now I would like to say, I, I'm like your, to your kids ever like, are you ever like just kind of walking into the bathroom with the towel and your kids are like, shave your back, shave your back. They're accustomed no? to it. Now that's the thing is that they just uh -huh. assume that, um, you know, big strapping, healthy dads have back hair, which is true in our household, at least it's very true. So I mean, uh, maybe they'd be big Albert fans. They might be. They'd be like, Daddy, why are you shaved and on the television? Why are you kicking that poor, uh, that old vampire from Toronto? Um, that's uh, the edge, of course. Uh, now, the other... Uh, I had something else I was going to say about Albert. Oh, I was imagining a scenario where in 2021, people were chanting, shave your back. And there'd be like, you know, this dueling chance now is like a popular thing. She'd be like... Shave your back, and then I, you know, I want to, I want to start like a love yourself, shave your back, <laughs> love yourself. I think that right. could be there, good. There, there'd be this the woke segment of the WWE mm -hmm. universe that would be sort of uncomfortable about about shaming someone for their their looks. Exactly. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, it's probably better to do a, to a body shaming is wrong chant. But anyway, <laughs> now the other the other thing you know, interesting that you say Adrian is a lazy name. I guess I guess it is. It's true. The, the one of the issues here is that Michael Cole calls him both a train and the a train in the same clip from two weeks ago. And uh, so it's it's one of these things that comes up where it's like, so is he a train like his name is a train or his is he himself the a train? I feel like uh, the A train is referencing like a route on like the New York subway system. I believe so. I believe I used to take I, when I when I went there a few years ago. I was on the the N train a lot, which I liked. And uh, if it was a, an N train, logically it would have to be an A train, uh, which is possible. So yeah, so A train attacked Ray and Edge, uh, and he uh, he hit Edge with a chair last week during during his match as well. So that's kind of why what's going on is that Ed, Ray was taken out by. Albert originally or a train originally was going to be Matt Hardy. They changed it to a train because Vince McMahon got cold feet, which is kind of a funny thing. Uh, and so now he's in a feud with uh, edge. And so uh, a train starts, but he pushes edge around and he knocks, knocks him on his back. And this is where the shave your back chance start, which is very potent. And uh, then edge starts to cut a train down to size. He, he goes first outside the ring and then back inside. He drop kicks him in the knee and then edge gets a roll up for two. And then A-Train takes back over. He gets a power slam for two. And um, the commentators are talking a lot about what Brock Lesnar will do later on, which is uh, fine on television. It's kind of weird to do that on a pay-per-view. Like, I always think about, like, on television, I always get kind of the the, the Nitro vibes from where it's like, oh, what's going to happen later on in the show during, like, an earlier less important match? But on a pay-per-view, in theory, all the matches there are supposed to be that important. So it kind of takes away from it, you know? Yeah, but uh, I guess this this was never going to be the main event. No, it's true. I mean, that, that's just it too. Where it's just like you, you have these matches. You're like, I hope these all matter, and then you're like, Yeah, but you did book A Train versus Edge, and it's like, eh, Okay, fine. So mm-hmm. we'll talk through that one. So uh, A Train does a slingshot on Edge on into the second rope, which is kind of like the does the throat sort of thing, which would not be fun to have happen to you there. Uh, and that gets two. And then I see in the crowd there is a sign that says Matitude Rules, but it's just R U L Z in caps, which. Um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what I was doing at the time. I would have I would be very into bringing a pro Matt Hardy signs review that he's not supposed to be on. Somebody in the crowd is enjoying Matt Hardy's work, and he's getting over yeah. as a, as a wrestler on the show, even though he's not around. Good for him. So um, A Train gets Edge in a chin lock. He gets out of it. He hits a drop kick, and then he hits his half Nelson face buster for two. And then Edge does this very unique top rope spinning edgematic, which uh, you know usually in an edgematic, Edge just kind of grabs you by the head and then sits down and drops you on your head. And so this time he like he like runs up he runs up the ropes while holding him and spins and hits it, which is like a fun little variance on the move. I was like pleasantly surprised by seeing that. It's a very cool option. Um, Michael Cole says that Edge must be wondering what he has to do to keep Train down, um, which is like okay. I mean Edge hasn't done like half of his finishers yet, um, but sure you can say that. That's fine, Michael Cole. And uh, so Edge goes for a top rope draw kick, but he gets kicked to the face with a bicycle kick from A Train. Edge does kick out at two. And then uh, Albert goes for a chair outside, but Edge baseball slides him. And then back inside, Edge hits his crossbody for two. Execution DDT is countered into a Baldo bomb, which is a two-hand chokeslam bomb that Albert did for a while. Which is he's also a guy that's a bunch of finishers here because that's one finisher he used to have, but he also has the bicycle kick, which he's beaten people with, and it's another move that comes up a bit later. And uh, it's weird. Michael Cole calls it a power bomb, even though it's a chokeslam bomb, which is not really the same thing. Anyway, that gets two. And so A-Train goes for a chair again, but then Edge goes for a spear, and he gets it. But uh, A-Train kicks out a two because A-Train is now important. That's what I got from that. I was like, okay, now, now that he can, now that he like sort of matters to the show, he can kick out of things magically. Like, All right, fine. Yeah, I was, I was definitely 
a little bit of surprised that yeah characters were allowed to kick out of the spear yeah and i mean they just want to protect a train so much so that they just end the match with a D- dq because a train gets the charity hits the edge in the leg and the referee just calls it and it's like all right sure like it shows you what like they're really trying to do something with a train here which... yeah that that was the only conceivable uh explanation for a finish like that oh yeah so edge drop kicks um the ch- chair after the match of course uh, a train has a chair edge drop kicks it into him yeah, a train that is he cracks him on the head with it uh and then whacks him on the bunch with the two and then um edge poses with his craziest looking face uh, face on the ropes so he just like makes this like crazed expression and michael cole says the edge has snapped so i don't know if we're supposed to see the edge is going to be like a different a wilder kind of baby face or what but he is um he's crazy now chris watch out watch out so paul Heyman. Paul Heyman is pleading with Big Show outside his locker room, telling him not to do something about Brock Lesnar. It's not really clear what right away. It sounds like uh, Big Show wants to go uh, with Paul Heyman to Stephanie's office, which Heyman says, Heyman says backfired on SmackDown last week because she thought um, they were trying to intimidate her, and so she lifted Brock Lesnar's suspension. So Paul Heyman talks Big Show into going back into his locker room, saying that he's going to take care of it. So Chris, is, I feel like I have to explain, because this was something that was unclear to me even watching these shows, that... There was okay another. There was another segment on the poc, uh, on the um, on the show last week that was cut out for reasons I can't understand, which was Brock Lesnar is at an autograph signing, and then we're told, "Hey, someone went to see him. We'll see it later on," and we never see it. And what happened was Brock Lesnar talked to um, Kurt Angle, who came, and Kurt Angle showed up and said, "Hey, Brock, I want you in my corner at Armageddon. I want you to help me win the title. If you do that, I'll make sure your suspension is lifted." So. It's like, okay, I don't know how Kurt Angle could even do that. That's fine. But I think Paul Heyman and Big Show were, like, mad about that. They're like, don't do that. And Stephanie's like, you're trying to intimidate me. I will lift the suspension. And she's like, all right. So Big Show is no longer – or, sorry, Brock Lesnar is no longer suspended. So it's like, all right. So they're mad about something. And, and essentially, this segment on this show is them saying, we want to talk to Stephanie. Last time that backfired, so we should be careful. So Paul Heyman's saying, I'm going to go figure it out myself. Was that clear before this, that what was happening there was the suspensions and the Brock Lesnar's and the big shows of it all? Well, I was I was following the storylines, but I did find it strange that they spent so much time in this promo uh, talking about something that they weren't going to do uh, going into to Stephanie's uh, Stephanie's office. So I, I thought it was a little strange and I thought it was going to make sense later and then it never really did. Never really did. I mean, Paul Heyman does visit Stephanie, but whether or not there's reason for that, for them to be concerned, is beyond me. I'm not sure. So from there we go, because we're we're just on a big SmackDown kick here on Armageddon 2002. It's now Eddie Guerrero versus Chris Benoit. And in the crowd, there's a sign that reads, Eddie and Chavo stole my hubcaps. Stole my hubcaps. I made a note of that as well. Yeah. They just they there's somebody in the truck every time Eddie Guerrero comes out, they're like, quick, find the most racist things you can. And the crowd provides. They hooked them up with some racist stuff. Yeah. Now, I, so I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking from mm. Eddie Guerrero's perspective. Right. Um, he, he might have very well concocted this character himself of being this shady Latino criminal. And it's so funny know, to hear you describe him like that. He does. He is. He is shady, and he does do things that you, you know, would be considered uh, incorrect. And Michael Cole does say this something was illegal, also. Yeah, this is this is a man who has no qualms about 
about breaking the law. I like I feel like that's that's the vibe we're we're supposed to supposed yeah. to get. And so when when those signs are there, it's a sign that that a sign that the gimmick is is working, I suppose. Um, and maybe this is what Eddie is going for. And yet, yeah, it's it's absolutely inappropriate and uh, racist for sure. Yeah, they are. They're. It's just such a, such a vague thing too, because they're just like their characters are all sorts of things, and they're Latino, and they're just like ah, there we go. Let's do all the signs about mowing your lawn. So after we see the sign, we see clips from the Fatal Four Way Elimination Match two weeks ago, uh, which was the number one contendership match. And so we saw that Chris Benoit eliminated Eddie Guerrero. And then Eddie Guerrero hit Benoit with a tag team title belt and got Benoit eliminated. And Michael Cole said, this was illegal. He's so mad about it. He was like, just want us to be clear. This is not correct. And then Michael Cole evokes kind of this new story they're doing with Benoit is that the sense that he is destined to wrestle for the WWE title. And uh, they're trying to build him up because, uh, well, he's got a title match coming up on the next month on the pay-per-view. So you can see you can see the, uh, the wheels already turning for Chris Benoit's move up the card to a main event slot. And now what you will not see uh, any sort of main event sort of thing with Chris Benoit for his tights. He's got these weird purple tights with the red text on it tonight. And he kind of looks like uh, the 90s Toronto Raptors jerseys. Oh, yeah, I can see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a combination. You're just like, that just looks like a Jurassic Park inspired basketball jersey in a pants form. So who knows? Michael Cole's, uh, sorry, Taz says this bar will be high. And it says that the uh, because this is going to be a match for the ages. He sets the bar very high by saying, I mean, not, not just like, hey, it's going to be a good match. He's like, this is going to be an all-time classic. It's essentially what he's saying to us. So it's like, okay, put up a shut-up time for these guys. Now, Michael Cole also adds, to kind of extend the storyline for Benoit, he says, whoever wins this is likely to be next in line for a title shot, which is kind of makes this a quiet number one contenders match, which is interesting, but it's not it's not stated that way at all. Right, yeah, but definitely with sort of the story arc in mind, um, and the commentaries also are talking a lot about like trying to, I guess, build up the personal animosity by saying yes. that these guys are best friends. And you know, that's just a term that WWE really throws around a lot. Best. It's friends. true. Even though, even though it's true in this moment, like in this situation, it is like, it's about, Were I, they I, I best can, friends on screen. They, I mean, not they did come to SmackDown together. They were and they, sort of opposed to each other for, for most of this year. It's true. They came to SmackDown together, and they were tag teaming together for a little while too. Like before, Chavo showed was like with Eddie in a like a solid way, and before the SmackDown Six kind of turned into this like this the the tag team title belt tournament situation when that kind of coalesced all these guys in the right spots. Benoit and Eddie did tag together a lot there, and they did. And so they're kind of evoking that. They're also evoking um, when they came over with uh, as the Radicals after WCW let them all get released in two thousand. So. There's a little bit that is true to that, which is good. But I mean, Michael Cole. I mean, how many times have you heard him declare people are best friends? Like, like true, like like so many times. So it is. Uh, even if it's true, it loses a little bit of its flavor. Wow, well, uh, best friends time. is supposed to be like a really special thing. Yeah, you know? and uh, and yeah, it's. I mean, WWE storylines are really very often about friendship dynamics, and I suppose if you're a pro wrestler, you're going to have a lot of relationship drama all the time. Right. But I mean, I think for most of us, we don't swap best friends very often, or we shouldn't. No, that's we right. Should, Stay with your friends, guys. Mm-hmm. Be like, stick it out. All right, this is it's a good thing. To, uh, good thing to have in mind. Um, this is a song. What is this song? This is a song from Miami Connection, which is a really terrible '80s movie. 
And uh, there's a great song on the soundtrack. It's like, friends for eternity, honesty, loyalty will stick together through thick and thin. Anyway, it's very cheap. great, like, wrestling theme song. Yeah, uh, seek it out. It's actually a, an amazing wrestling theme song, for sure. Uh, yeah, I think it's, is it called Friends Friends Forever? Or if you look, if you Google Friends and Miami Connection, you will find it. You will be happy. I encourage you. Whoever's listening right now, you can pause the podcast and go find it, because it is worth it. So we start the match off. Uh, Eddie and Benoit, they trade some holds before Eddie gets Benoit in the corner and he chops him. And uh, at one point, there's a guy in the second row who's visibly on his flip phone doing a phone call during a headlock, which is very funny to see in 2021. Just a guy who's just like on his Motorola, I don't know, not Razor, but it would be like some sort of fat Motorola phone being like, yeah, honey, yeah, I'm just, uh, yeah, match is going on right now. There's not too much happening. But he was just, he was on it's, it, man. It's a rest hold, so we can talk now. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Now, what's, yeah, what's going on? So what was happening at work? What did what did Doug say to you? Oh, that guy drives me nuts. Anyway, so Eddie has a short arm scissors on Benoit as the crowd starts at Eddie sucks chant. And uh, I mean, I just, Eddie does not f- suck as much as it's he's a, he's a bad guy. I can't believe people chant this. I'm so insulted by they would do that. And so, uh, yeah, they have, uh, he has Benoit on these, the short arm scissors. And so the guys roll all around the ring, and they're trying to kind of like Benoit's trying to get out of it, and he's trying to hold on to it. And so Benoit rolls underneath Eddie, and then deadlifts him into this almost this electric chair drop position, and then drops Eddie from high up to break the hole, which is a pretty cool way to get out of that because it was it, it was incredible strength. Yeah, it's just like amazing. It's amazing when you see something, you're like, oh, that's like real athleticism. That's incredibly mm-hmm. impressive. Mm-hmm. And so then Eddie gets a head scissors on Benoit's head, as you can imagine. And uh, this is audible boring chant, which is too bad, but I do feel like this part of the match is pretty slow. Oh, I, I missed that, actually. Yeah, it wasn't too loud, but I, I was listening to it, and I was like, ooh, that would not be fun to hear on a pay-per-view, especially with these freaking guys. I guess the bar is insanely high, as ben, as uh, Taz made it. So, But, I mean, uh, it's not like there was, like, a, you know, A-Train sucks chance. I mean, I feel like they're they're really directing true. their animus at the, the wrong targets here. Yeah, that's true. They shave your back. They're not, they're, yeah, they're not talking about the, the actual content of their character. They're talking about... What's happening slowly, or the the hair on the back? Well, but I mean, just saying boring during a, an Eddie Guerrero versus Chris Benoit match just seems disrespectful. I yeah. mean, oh yeah, I, to to like, I mean, I guess we're looking back on on them differently than they were perceived back then. But but even back then, they were considered among the very best. Absolutely, absolutely, they were. Um, Eddie tries to flip Benoit out of the ring, but Benoit gets kind of caught up in the ropes before falling out. And then Eddie follows up with this great flying body block to the outside. He gets a great height. He just really soars from the top rope to the floor, which is always a cool look anyway because of the, the distance between those instead of the distance between the top rope and the ring. So Eddie far, falling from a much higher height. I mean, even from today, when I, when I think that like some of the stunts are, are riskier, yeah. that crossbody onto the floor looked like looked very painful and dangerous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's just getting so high up there, and there's just so much potential for you know something to go wrong or to land on something, unfortunately. So um, so back in the ring, Eddie works uh, Chris Benoit's leg over. He uses a leg lock, and then he kind of does this um, kind of, uh, I guess, I don't know if you can still call it this, an Indian death lock, which is this, this submission where you, you stand up with your leg kind of like tucked behind theirs, and you drop down to kind of torque their leg. Uh, and uh, so you kind of like, you get up and you torque it, and you get up and you torque it. It's like a, this kind of cool little... Um, Submission move. I think Triple H will use it a little bit later on, which is uh, he uses it to great effect. And uh, so Eddie covers Benoit for two after he gets out of that submission. And then when Eddie gets up after getting two, he starts to kind of bounce confidently in the ring, which we've seen him do on occasion. And uh, I really love it because 
he's not being goofy. He's not being, he's not like, uh, he's not playing it up like, oh, like, look at me. I'm, you know, like, I'm a character being stupid because I'm excited about that. And he's like, he has this justified excitement because he's got Ben where he wants him. And he's starting to move kind of like the way that a boxer would, which I love. Now, that said, uh, Chris Benoit then gets five German suplexes on Eddie. <laughs> so it kind of cools down his excitement, but it gets the crowd quite excited. They are very much into it when he hits five of those. Uh, oh, absolutely. And, and, yeah. and not just five, but moments later, he ends up hitting two more for a total of seven German suplexes all in, in one setting. That's true. He does get really, like in between, he, has, uh, he goes for a headbutt. Uh, including the throat slash, and he, and he does the, the nose blow on uh, on Eddie Guerrero, which is not always used. But that's right, so Eddie kind of gets up a little bit, and then Benoit, yeah, he adds a sixth and a seventh German suplex onto him there. So, yeah, it's like, gosh, that should be that should finish people sometimes. Because he's just, he's just smashing you, like, six to seven times. Like, you be gone, man. Well, it doesn't matter how many times you hit a regular move. It's not going to create a pinfall situation. Yeah. No, it's true. So uh, so after the Germans, Benoit goes up for a power bomb, but Eddie flips out of it, and then he hits three rolling German suplexes on Benoit. So he's even getting in on the act, which is a little bit fun. I don't know if I've seen Eddie do that. Maybe he's done another matches, but I don't recall that. He does. He obviously does his kind of his rolling suplexes sometimes too, but there's different style. Different style of them. I thought his were called the Three Amigos. Or yes. Am I thinking of something else? No, you're right. Well, it's okay. all, but it's when it's, he does like these snap suplexes from the front, but not with the not. Oh Germans. right. Yeah. Right. Okay. He he does the suplex and then he like twists his hips in a kind of a fun way and he rolls and keeps going with it. Um, yeah, it's a good time. Uh, and then so after he hits the German suplexes, Eddie uh, he adds a snap suplex and he has the top rope and he nails a frog splash and I was like okay, but then Benoit kicks out at two and I was like okay, this match is heating up. That was an exciting kick out. Benoit's feeling alive. We're getting somewhere here. And uh, Eddie argues with the ref about the kick out and uh, and then he just runs and tackles Benoit out of the ring. Which uh, and they like tumble out together, which I like. like. I've almost never seen that happen where like it's almost like a spear, but it just feels more like like you'd see in a movie when like two friends fight each other. It's just a sense of like, ah, they just like run and smash into each other. It's not a very smooth move, but I, I mean, way. and uh, so yeah, Benoit's on the floor and Eddie wants to go outside and go after Benoit. But uh, the referee Brian Hebner, who's uh, officiating this match, he stops Eddie from going outside and it seems that there's no reason for it because that's not how that's not how refereeing and wrestling matches work. Like you can go outside. Just you're supposed to like come in to beat the count. So right. it's weird that you would send a guy, you would stop a guy because you would think that Eddie would just go get him. It's like, all right. So um, Brent Hebner essentially allows uh, Chavo Guerrero to run down to ringside, hit Chris Benoit with a title shot or not a title shot, a belt shot with the title belt. Uh, and so I was like, okay, great. So Eddie essentially has used this to his advantage. And so Eddie drags Benoit back in the ring and he just barely kicks out at two. So the belt shot weakens uh, Benoit, but he's still, uh, he's still at it. So a second false finish where you really thought that, uh, Benoit might be out here. Oh yeah. Especially after that one, you're kind of like, well, how can you, how can you kick out of that? Well, he did. Uh, so yeah, they, they, they really, uh, they milked those, uh, those false finishes were very nice. And so there's a suplex countered, and then Benoit charges, but uh, Eddie drops him down into the lasso from El Paso. And uh, But Benoit is in the ropes, however, so he's saved by a rope break there. And then Benoit just hits these wild chops on Eddie, just smashing him. And then he gets him in this, like, crazy powerbomb, and just, like, drives him into the mat. And the crowd gets all excited about that, which is great to see those two guys do a little powerbomb action there. And then Benoit heads up top, but Chavo jumps up uh, to kind of like, to, like, prevent him. And then Eddie grabs at the referee to kind of get him get him to be distracted. 
And then uh, Benoit drops Chavo on the rope. Chavo goes flying. Then Eddie pops onto the turnbuckle. But Benoit tosses him off. He hits a flying headbutt on him. And then uh, Eddie grabs Benoit's legs for a lasso from El Paso after he takes the head uh, the headbutt. But then Benoit grabs Eddie's legs and gets him into prime crossface position. He, no- he kind of like knocks him down into it. And so Benoit's fighting for it. He's fighting for this crossface. And uh, Eddie, Eddie, while he's fighting, is also reaching for the ropes at the same time with his other arm. And so Benoit, essentially, all he does, he floats over. So he abandons one arm, and he jumps onto the other side where Eddie's reaching out his arm, and he grabs a crossface there instead, which I thought was crazy. I'd never seen that before. And then uh, Eddie, Eddie tries to roll out of it, which you sometimes see in the crossface. They, like, roll from it. And uh, he rolls himself, but he goes right into the center of the ring. And Benoit is still attached to him on the arm in the crossface. And uh, shortly after that, Eddie taps out. And Michael Cole says that Benoit has worked his way into the title picture, uh, just essentially cementing that that idea that even though it's this kind of uh, this kind of quiet number one contendership match, Michael Cole just says, "Yep, he's going to be up for a, a title match there." Uh, what did you think of the match, Chris? I thought it was a fantastic match. I yeah. disagree with the crowd that thought that the start was was boring. Mm-hmm. Um, they really did everything possible to make Benoit look really, really strong coming out of this. Big uh, surviving the frog splash, uh, the the title belt in the back of the head, the lasso from a palso, I think, uh, twice. Yeah. And um, beating Eddie that way, for sure, uh, makes Benoit look like a champion, definitely. I loved it. Yeah, yeah it was really good. And you know who else loved that match? Uh, Stephanie McMahon who immediately after the match, she's in her office and she's, she's holding a, she has a cup of uh, Christmas themed Starbucks, which I, it's kind of a random thing to see there. And she, she sits on her desk and she's watching the show. And she says, I love that Chris Benoit, which she would not say now. Was this just strange segue? Yeah. Well, it yeah. was funny too. Cause I'm like, so did she sit on her desk for the last 15 minutes watching that match? That'd be very uncomfortable. She should have a, a, a set, like a setup there. If you, I'm sure if you were a high powered executive with an entertainment property, you wouldn't just have your desk and watch it there. You'd have a little sitting area enjoy yeah you probably would or if or you would sit in the chair behind your desk and watch watch the tv yeah also a likely place you would do that. yeah yeah so she's yeah she's just standing there instead so in comes paul Heyman, who he says he also loves chris benoit too and he's been thinking about adding benoit to a stable of clients because now he has big show and he has a train and so he just mentions that i was like okay kind of fun detail there and he even goes so far as to thank stephanie for making him wait until after the match to have a chat which have a chat which Makes sense because, and it also tells us like, okay, so he came to see Stephanie. She said, "No, the match is going to start. I want to watch it." And so now he's kind of groveling, being like, "Oh well, even though you kind of put me off, uh, it was actually really good because I wanted to see that match too." So there you go. Like details like that. And so Stephanie's like, "All right, Paul. Here's the thing. Brock Lesnar's already unsuspended, so forget it." And Paul says, "Well, okay, I'm not here for that because he says a lot of people have been questioning Stephanie's business decisions." And he's, he's concerned about the honor and prestige of the WWE title. And Stephanie quickly asks if there is honor and prestige in the way that Big Show won the title. So Paul Heyman gets shut down pretty immediately from those concerns. Burn. Exactly. And uh, Paul says that if Brock is in Kurt's corner tonight, the Big Show will break his neck. Which is like, okay, I don't know why. He does not really know for breaking neck. So that's all right. So here we go. Here's, here's a section of the podcast I'm glad that I get to commit my voice to here. We get a video package reminding us of Don Marie and Tori's feud recently. 
because uh, I, I remember Chris, I was listening back to an older episode where uh, I believe you were kind of talking about well, what's to come with uh, Don Marie and Tori, and we are still in the thick of this. Oh, I had no idea. I had no idea that it was it was going to turn like this. It turned. It, gosh, it never turned. So we see that a few weeks ago, Don Marie said she was actually interested in Tori romantically, not Al. And Don proposed that if Tori was to meet her in her hotel room later and fool around, I guess, Don would break it off with Al, her um, T- Tori's dad and Don's fiance. So Tori goes, and we see her do stuff we're you know we, we're gonna see truly what they get into here that it's kind of just alluded to i think there's a kiss maybe on the show i'm not sure and uh the next week on the show dawn brings out al wilson and she decides to not break it off with him anyway even though she uh she told tori she would and she had admitted to al she was unfaithful to him with his own daughter which i have to assume would be a little bit worse than being unfaithful to him with somebody else because it's somewhat of a, of a different gender or she's yeah it's a same-sex cheating situation and it's also uh, I guess it's not technically incestuous, but although if they got married, it would be in a weird way. So, I mean, it's it's a love triangle sort of. Um, yeah, it's true. It's it's extremely uncomfortable. It, yeah, I, I suppose it is um, kind of the the ultimate heel betrayal from Dawn. I, I guess. Yeah, and even though Tori's dad is still like, oh, whatever, I'll still stick around, which is like, all right. And so that led to Tori attacking Dawn. And Don saying that we're going to see the footage at Armageddon. Um, and it's like that segment last week, we talked about it. Very uncomfortable because Don Marie is like essentially using sexual blackmail over someone. Uh, and uh, it's uncomfortable, especially in 2021, where these there's all sorts of, uh, you know, revenge porn is a thing. And that's essentially what Don Marie is uh, weaponizing here uh, on the show, which in which they're using, which they used in the weeks leading up to the show to be like, hey, you want to buy Armageddon? You're going to see a woman's life destroyed on camera, but she's hot. So at least there's that. It's like, oh my gosh. So this is also a funny thing to find out after the fact is that apparently the whole segment in the hotel room was produced by Stephanie McMahon. So she she was really? like traffic there. Yeah, I know. The it doesn't feel like something a woman would supposed be doing. like feminist voice of WWE that she kind of portrays herself as now, like <laughs> all about women's empowerment. Like that's kind of her shtick is is you know standing up for the women and and she actually produced this wow yeah it to me it had the fingerprints of like gross old man on it but uh, nope unless it's the daughter of a gross old man though cool yeah it's strange a strange thing to find out so this now we're in for it here at Armageddon because Don and Al come down to the ring and. Uh, Al Al has it's very funny to see Al Wilson who just looks like this goofy old man. Uh, when he's he's juxtaposed with the fire and steel of the entranceway, because it's like hell on earth is here, and also here's your weird uh, your weird great uncle Al Wilson is also here, so it's great. There's a guy in the crowd who has a sign that says "Show the tape," which is like, all right, that guy that guy had a plan today. He knows he, he's in for. And so Don gets on the mic, and she she reminds us that Tori is a sexual predator, which is something she said at the uh, during the show last week, and didn't make any sense then or now. Because, uh, yeah, I was wondering about that. Did she does she have like past history of sexual predation? It's like I, that's like that's like if you kill somebody and you're like, ah, I killed them. They're a murderer. It's like you're the murderer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were bragging about preying on this person. I mean, uh, even even Al Wilson should see that that maybe Don Marie is the sexual predator here. Yeah, it doesn't it does not bode well long term for for them in this situation. 
So Don throws to, quote, what happened in room uh, 357, which is like the name of a short film. Uh, I, I'm going to give the dignity of be calling it a short film instead of what it could very easily also be called instead. And so we see what we saw in the SmackDown before, which is Tori tried to leave. And then Don threatened her by saying that she may not that uh, if you do that, you don't love your dad. Now, I also heard that um, I also read online that apparently they had filmed a couple different versions of this and the network saw both of them. And they're like, no, you can't do that on television. And so they already tried to push it on TV. And so they ended up doing uh, this, even though it was on paper, you would think it would be permitted. But so so it was actually planned to be worse than this. Yes. Oh, gosh. Exactly. So we see a little. So there's a couple more minutes of the show. We see the people are removing, removing robes, and there's some kissing. Dawn Marie stops the footage in the ring. She asks how people like it, and so Al Wilson says, hey, "The people have seen enough." And that's his daughter. He doesn't like it. And uh, to that, I say, "Why were you out in the ring to begin with, man? Like you know what she was promising to do." Like, yeah, it's it's very strange to see like, you know, what goes to, what what is considered too far for Al Wilson in terms of his fiance tormenting his daughter um hey i was but, fine but, with it when you said you were going to do it but not seeing it actually happen yeah this is this is where i draw the line i mean yeah. let's let's be real al wilson he seems like a pretty terrible father he does now i mean who knows what he was when he when, when toy was growing up but all the evidence we have here is that he is he has abandoned any sort of a protective aspect or caring aspect and now he's just in it for himself in, in, in a lot of ways i also think this would play a little bit better if don went out by herself and then al like came out to interrupt it because people would hate him then right like, even more so now and, yeah i have an issue with the wwe universe here mm-hmm. and and how they they go about this yeah because um yeah don maria is asking you know do you do you want to see this? And the crowd erupts. Um, you know, not only do you want to see this, but do you want to to watch some kind of sexual encounter between Don Marie and Tori while his dad is watching? Right. Uh, I can't imagine being in the crowd and 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 cheering for this. Um, so really, thumbs down to the WWE universe for being terrible, terrible people. In just too horny for their own good in the office depot arena, (laughs) yes, shame on all of them. (laughs) So, so yeah, so there's even more to it though, too, because Don rolls the footage again, and Alice on the mic saying, Hey, stop it, stop it, even though it's playing. And the announcers also agree with Don, they say, Oh, people want to see more. And it's weird because I don't know if it was clear from the stuff they showed on on the pay per view here, but last week on the show, Tori Wilson was straight up crying on SmackDown. When Dawn said, I'm going to show everyone what we did in that room. Like she was like openly depicting a woman humiliated by having her sexual encounters broadcasted to the population. And 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 everybody knew that. Everybody like, like the account the announcers saw that. And they're like, oh, we want to see it anyway. It's like <laughs> disturbing, really. Like it's just it's such a lack of care and, and such disregard for how someone feels. A coworker for them, too, technically. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe. Tori Wilson isn't wasn't respected enough as a star that uh, people felt that she needed to be treated with um, dignity in order to to still like her. I mean, she I guess is is was the face that that people were very okay with being degraded. Yeah, I mean, I guess what ha- I guess when you just like have a career where 
you objectify a person and then you like have her be treated like an object on a pay-per-view. It's not that unusual for people to be like, okay, there's an object. Like they're not, there's not, they're not really giving her the humanity that she has, which I guess might make sense. So Dawn says that Al, she wants to make Al happy uh, after Al puts his foot down and the crowd says, the crowd chants asshole at him, which is a strange thing to say about a guy who doesn't want to see his daughter make out with his fiance against her will. Right. I mean, I suppose they can disagree with his decision, but to claim that he is a bad person for, right. <laughs> for, for, for doing that, again, Office Depot Arena, um, shame on all of them. Yeah, it's one thing to say, no, show us the tape, and one thing to be like, that person's bad for not wanting to see it. And Domri, uh, she reacts quite well. She says he's not an asshole. <laughs> she just says that. And they say, you know what? We can go make some more footage of ourselves at home. And so they and they go to leave, and then we cut to Jerry Lawler from Raw, of course, who says he watches SmackDown every week, and that he doesn't like Al Wilson, especially now. And he hornily asks, "Where's the rest of the footage?" It's like, "Sorry, man, you're just not going to get it." Well, and apparently they, because I, I was researching this as well, and um, if you go, if you Google what happened at Room Three Fifty Seven, Don Marie Tory, you'll see all sorts of results that you. Um, don't want to click on because I think it's all sorts of like um, it's basically porn I think that they've sort of made a sort of a, a continuation of this and I did not watch any of it and but you'll see a lot of like bad links if you're trying to figure out how this story ends and, and I understand right. that they don't actually sh- ever show the continuation of this um, but but again this is not a consensual encounter Yes. She was actually being coerced, and WWE wants us. It's Stephanie McMahon. I'm learning now wants us to think that that we should be cheering this on. Yeah, this. I mean, th- and we know that Dom Marie's not a good person, uh, but at the same time, when you have, like you have these people who are opposing her, and they're becoming the people that people are chanting uh, mean things to, and it's like, okay, what do you what do you want us to do here? Because because we're constantly running into this whole issue of it. So with the end you of that, know, segment, she's a, Oh, sorry. Go yeah, on. Please. Yeah. I, I found out that she's now a nurse, um, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. And, and I didn't know that she, he was ultimately fired in 2005 after becoming pregnant and later. Oh, rude. WWE. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't care for that. But poor thing. Gosh, good reason to sue. Uh, and so that ends the extended uh, SmackDown segments uh, on the the Armageddon show because we have yeah Jr. and uh, Jerry Lawler there, and we also see uh, Shawn Michaels who's stretching backstage, uh, being the first Raw wrestler we see after an hour uh, of no Raw at all. So the next match is Kane versus Batista, and uh, this is a Raw match, so we're going to skip to the end. But I do have to point out that when Kane's fire goes off. Uh, his pyro lights up so extravagantly uh, at the entranceway that the Raw and SmackDown logos burst into flames as well, which is kind of a cool visual, which I enjoyed about that. With that, he's done some very cool fire things over the years, so he gets it here. And so, yes, yeah, so we skip to the end of the match. So Ric Flair comes onto the apron to interfere. Kane brings him in to beat him up, and when Kane turns around after dispatching Ric Flair, he gets kicked and dropped with Batista's sit-out powerbomb, and then he is pinned for the one, two, and three. So Batista gets a nice big win over Kane, who uh, last two months has been main eventing on these shows, and uh, he has been dropped. 
So there we go. Batista ascends. Evolution is in its infancy here. And uh, we go backstage. We see Kurt Angle asking Funaki where Brock Lesnar's dressing room is backstage. And that's it. He just, that's as long as that is. Yeah, what and does Funaki say? Like, uh, um, like he just points and says yeah, over there. Pretty much. That, 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 was, that was basically just to put Funaki on TV, I suppose, for, you know, two seconds. Yeah. It's like, here's, here's uh, Josh Matthews. Here's Funaki. Everybody's here. Mm-hmm. So then we see John Cena come out. With uh, with B two, who is now called B squared again, there's this kind of this question of whether or not the B and the small two is B two or B squared. Michael Cole was called him a couple different things, and so they do a freestyle rap. And uh, for some reason, though, the, the beat ends before they even start rapping, which is kind of annoying. And uh, the camera is also annoying because it's kind of tilting and moving in and out constantly, like a rap video. How they exactly. imagine exactly what a bunch of old white guys think in a rap video. Looks <laughs> yeah, like. uh, John Cena calls B two bling bling Buchanan, which I think makes him B cubed as far as I'm concerned, or B3 at least. Yeah, it really would. Yeah. So I don't know what he's, what he's trying to say there. So I mean, uh, maybe John... the, the, the two, the first two words are what makes the B squared because it's, it's the same. Then it'd be B squared B canon. That seems, that seems like you're missing a perfect opportunity there. I suppose. Mm-hmm. So uh, John Cena insults the crowd. He says they flip burgers and make fries. And then he name checks Stephanie McMahon and Eric Bischoff. And that's it. I think on the network, he says like John Cena calls out the WWE universe or the locker rooms. It's like, all right, sure. He just came out and did stuff. And he only recently started this Thugonomics rap gimmick, right? Yeah, since, like, because he did, at, at Halloween, he was dressed up as Vanilla Ice, but it took him a couple of weeks to actually, like, for him to be himself doing little freestyle put-down raps on people. You know what, I can't believe this is, like, watching this particular segment. I mean, it was, it was okay, um, but I can't believe this is the gimmick that launched him into superstardom. It's true. I mean, he he gets a little bit more interesting with it instead of like he he just gets more fun. I think mm-hmm. is what ends up happening okay. here. So mm-hmm. I think it helps. So next up is Victoria, who is the women's champion, going up against Trish Stratus and Jacqueline in a triple threat match here. And so the video package before the match features Jr. calling Victoria quote a Jezebel a lot, which he's using to mean a bad woman, which I don't think is fitting for what Victoria's character is. She's not like an evil person. She's crazy, which they try to get. Which I mean, that you could set another problem all on, on your own. Uh, but she's not like uh, she's not like a harlot or like a vixen or something like that. She's just wacky, like a whacked out person. Yeah, Jr. tends to throw that insult around a lot at, at basically any any heel lady. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. It doesn't apply. Uh, it's not the most egregious thing that happens uh, during the entrances, though, because uh, oh gosh, oh. Jacqueline's entrance come when during Jacqueline's entrance, Jerry Lawler just asks JR, he just goes, Do you like cleavage, JR? <laughs> what kind of question is that? What a thing to say. And once again, Victoria's music uh, is edited out, which uh, do you know what she came out to at the time, Chris? No. She came out to all the things she said by tattoo, which is the, the all the things she said, all the things she said, run it through my head, run it through my head. That was that was her head. theme song? Yeah, it ruled. It was great. She had and she I, had like, huh? I listened to a, another podcast where that is their theme song. You know, oh, you know what scare? Oh no, I'm I'm not familiar. Yeah. Anyway, um, cool song, but I guess they don't have the rights to it anymore. It's probably the uh, the bigger issue. And Jerry, at another point, I think during the intro, says, "I love these physical women." Um, maybe he says that a little bit later, but yeah, all sorts of inappropriate comments by Jerry. Gosh, he just he's just committing just crimes on the mic every week. So uh, this is a raw match, so we'll skip to the end. So 
Trish clotheslines Jacqueline in the corner, and she covers her near the ropes. But Victoria hits Trish in the head with the title belt, and then she gets in and covers Jacqueline instead. And uh, so she gets the one, two, and the three. But technically, Jacqueline just got clotheslined, and that's how she lost, which is like, okay, yeah. Yeah, that like it was a clothesline in the corner, mind you. I suppose she was kind of pressed in there, but it did not look um, impressive at all. And not only that, there was extra time from when Trish was getting hit in the head with the title belt. Uh, poor Jacqueline. It would make sense to me to pin Trish. I understand why they don't want to do well, that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, like Trish, like Jacqueline, should have recovered by now from the clothesline. Just pick, just pick her up and uh, hit your finisher on her, and Trisha's still dead in the corner. Like that's fine. I think that make more sense. But anyway, she gets clothesline, she gets put out, which is too bad. And so um, Victoria takes her belt and Trisha's red cowboy hat with her. So she's Ooh, taking a little takes bit of the uh, cowboy hat. That's mm, uh, things are things are getting getting personal. Very personal. Spoils of war the, here. At the end of the match, uh, I think it's Jerry who says she may be a Jezebel, but she's still pretty hot. <laughs> Like he he can't help himself. Even these characters do these evil things, or they're crazy. And he's just like, ah, but you know what, though, man. Gotta be honest with you. She's really put it together physically. It's like, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing? Why? Like, he can't resist me. Like, she's hot, Jr. She's hot. It's like, I mean, of okay. course, all of this does seem like very PG uh, compared to what happened at Room Fifty Seven earlier in the evening. So, I mean, when you do it's things, all relative. When you do things with women on the show that make Jerry Lawler's in, it, like ramblings and insane comments seem like not that bad, you've you've definitely transgressed. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're backstage with Kurt Angle, and he's gesturing with the videotape to Brock Lesnar. And he tells him, you know what? Like, you would have beat Big Show. We both know that. And, uh, you know, Kurt is essentially trying to rile Brock up so that he uh, interferes in the match, which is kind of a smart move. You can try to do that. And uh, Brock says he, Kurt won't regret helping him get his suspension lifted. And Kurt leaves, but not before putting in a tape of Survivor Series 2002, where we see Brock Lesnar F5 Big Show before being screwed out of Paul Heyman, out of the title by Paul Heyman. And we watch a fair bit of it on the television. Like, we just kind of sit and watch TV with Brock for a little bit on an old VHS and a uh, tube TV. And I uh, thought that was pretty funny, having yeah. like, the, the, the old VHS tape. But you know what? A pretty clever way to do a recap to their history and why Brock is supposed to be angry. That's clever. It is not bad. And, and he also, when he's watching it, he's clearly very bothered by it. Like he's doing a lot of like, oh, mm, 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 a lot of that sort of thing. And that leads into a big show with Paul Heyman against Kurt Angle for the WWE title. Now, Chris, before we get started here, you talked about how you want to talk about the big show. Well, what do you think, Matt? Do you see him as an underachiever or an overachiever? Uh, that's an interesting framing of it because in some ways I might even say he underachieved in terms of, well, he got the title a lot, but I don't feel like he really earned it in some ways. And so it's like, I wish that he had got, I wish that he had earned it more so, but also I don't know if somebody like him could really get it. So I guess in some ways he overachieved because he would just like get the title kind of randomly because he was just a really big dude. If you would guess as to how long, a world champion he was for what would you what would you say i think isn't it for like a shockingly small amount of time because he like he he won the title for a month here uh but he like routinely had the title for very brief periods i think it was also um he won it in 1999 against um did he lose against triple h or whoever it was but he had it for a brief very brief period of time it, it's short That's right? right yeah he he won it at survivor series and then lost it to triple h right. at uh, smackdown mm-hmm 
Um, so what would be your guess for overall amount of time? Overall amount of time, I think it, it's something really small, like um, it's going to be less than six months, right? Well, actually, I mean, you're not far off. It's uh, I counted it all up. It's about yeah. nine months. Okay. Uh, but this is nine months over the course of 25 years, which is which is quite small. As yeah. someone who is that uniquely big and so like because because of his size you you kind of think like wow he really should have made more of an impact um at the same time he did still stay in in the sport for for 25 years oh yeah he never got great but he was capable um and not someone who was very good at the mic either. He clearly doesn't have the speaking skills or the charisma. So he did have to overcome that. So, I mean, that's why it's, it's hard for me to gauge whether, whether he was someone who was actually really great, um, considering what he was working with, or whether he basically squandered this seven-foot frame. Apparently, he was, um, like... When he was 19, he had to get the surgery so oh, that yeah. he could stop growing. So he could have, uh, I think it's like a surgery on his pituitary gland. That sounds uh, about right. Uh, the condition, I think, was called acro, acromegaly. I don't know how right. to pronounce it. Yeah, if, if it's, what, um, it's what Andre had. So be, he had acromegaly, too. Acromegaly, that's how you say it? I yeah. think so. Yeah. I've always, I don't, you know, I don't know if I've ever heard it out loud, but when I looked at it, I was like, ah, of course, acromegaly. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. But I, like, I, I had it in my notes there, and then I realized I had to say it out loud. And I was like, right, oh, like, I kind of want to say it. Yeah. <laughs> how, do you, how do you actually pronounce that? Um, another fun fact uh, he holds the record for most losses at WrestleMania. <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of another, like, just that one fact kind of epitomizes Big Show's career in that, you know, wow, tons of WrestleMania appearances, but like, uh, but they're all losses. It's true. And, you know, and I think like he had the title for nine months, but it was combined over a lot of reigns, right? Like it was like, it was. was it three to six or something like that? Yeah. His, his very first reign yeah. was, was his very first match, I understand. Yes, that's right. Winning it at WCW, winning the WCW title at Halloween Havoc um, by disqualification. Yes. Because that was written into the contract. So beating right. Hulk Hogan of this. And then... Um, at it was a very similar situation to this one where uh, Hulk Hogan was screwed over by his manager who wrote that into the contract. And so just like Brock Lesnar was screwed over by his manager for Big Show's gain, uh, Jimmy Hart, the mouth of the South, also screwed over Hulk Hogan. So, so Big Show has been used to this kind of uh, insider chicanery by the managers. Uh, yes, uh, he apparently likes his, his contracts and secret yeah. clauses. But he was stripped of that title a week later. So his very first title was, was I guess, I guess a week. Um, then he won uh, the WC title, WCW title again in 96 from Ric Flair, lost to Hulk Hogan. Uh, 99 wins his first WWE title. Uh, then of course, uh, this title reign and then, um, drought for nine years until, uh, 2011. And then his final title in 2002, losing to Alberto Del Rio, which uh, seems hard to imagine. And you know, there might've been an ECW title in there too. I didn't care. There was, there was at one point, I'm sure there was, but yeah, he's, I mean, all that, all that time was also over, uh, yeah, it's funny how it turned out. 
ter- title count as a world title to you? Uh, uh, kind of, yeah, I kind of, I kind of would. I mean, the way that it was used in WWE as like a, another brand is kind of like just questionable because it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, was was Big Show a world champion there? Kind of by their standards. I don't know. It's like almost below in NXT in some ways. So, I mean, I think I'm not like looking at you like, I can't believe how dare you not include that. But it's like it's 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 justifiable. As far as I'm, concerned. Well, I'm looking it up now and he certainly held the ECW title a lot longer than any of the other ones. So it was from uh, he won it in 2006 um, in July and lost it that same year to Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley, who is, yeah. as, we, as we record, is currently the WWE champion, even yeah, though I don't, in, I don't know that uh, might be the case when we listen to this podcast. Yeah, so in December. So basically, like, less than a six-month reign is, is the longest time that any promotion can really give him a belt before uh, people get bored of it. Yeah, that's the most stomach for it. So we see the video package for the Big Show versus Kurt Angle match here, and um, the video package begins, of course, with the footage of another wrestler who's out in the match. Brock Lesnar's ascent, and then where he, I think, got screwed a Survivor Series like we like we just saw on the on the tape. We watched the tape with Brock just now, and uh, following that up with uh, some suspension worthy assaults on Matt Hardy and Big Show. And uh, we also see uh, Kurt Angle pin Edge to win that match, uh, the number one contenders match. He had a top rope angle slam, which is great, and then Big Show immediately showed up and choke slammed him. And there was this even this like swoopy sound effect when he hit him and some operatic vocals. And then we also got to see Kurt Angle talk, taking big show, uh, Brock Lesnar aside at the autograph signing to say he'd get Brock on suspended, which, like I noted earlier, was not on the WWE broadcast for the show for reasons that aren't at all apparent. And then uh, Stephanie lists Brock's suspension. Um, I don't know why she would. I don't know why if Kurt even talked to her. It wasn't even for a month. I don't quite get it. And then Big Show comes out. He comes out first. And uh, he's carrying the belt over his head, race over his head like he just won it. And he carries it that way the entire walk down to the ring, which just kind of felt sad to me. I was like, man, you're, you're just clinging to this, aren't you? I mean, yeah, he did just win it. I mean, was he, I mean, how it, it long true. ago? Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was like a month, a month ago. ago. It was last month of the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, before Kurt walks out, I noticed that um, both names of the show, on both shows, like I said, there was like a Raw and a SmackDown sign. So both of those are lit up blue for SmackDown. Which obviously makes sense for SmackDown, but looks weird for Raw for it to be lit up in blue. It's like, all right, fine. It's a SmackDown title match. And uh, the commentators point out quite uh, justifiably that uh, Brock Lesnar did not walk out with Kurt Angle. So even though there's this whole talk of Brock Lesnar being in Kurt's corner, they're like, well, he's not there now. So they didn't know what to make of that. So anyway, they, they put that aside. So we'll think of that later on in the match. We'll see if Brock Lesnar shows up at some point. And so there's a, a let's go Angle chant to start off early. And I feel like the crowd is pretty much behind him, which is cool. And uh, Kurt Angle is just trying to find a way to get Big Show off his feet. And then uh, Big Show gets or Kurt Angle in a fireman's carry. And then he just kind of dumps him over the top rope. But he lands on Paul Heyman, which is like uh, maybe not the smartest thing for Big Show to do. Maybe he should look where he's dropping wrestlers if he's doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you knew this, uh, Chris, but uh, you probably noticed Kurt Angle's got this big knee brace on. And uh, he is actually, shortly after the show, he is scheduled to get a, a knee scope. So they're going to go in there and surgically clean out his knee. And put him oh, on the shelf for a while. Know that. Okay. And he, and he wrestles like this the whole time, which is what's so crazy. He gets thrown off the road. He just like a drop kick at one point. And uh, people, people before this match even happened, they're like, "Well, Kurt Angle is going to get his knee scope, so he's going to be out of commission anyway." And it's like, mm, don't count on that necessarily. Oh, so you think that maybe they were, um, you know, trying to downplay the possibility that he might might win? 
a little bit. I think it was just mostly the insiders. Like I don't even think people on the outside knew necessarily mm, that okay. uh, that it was going to happen. But I mean, he, did, he has this big ass knee brace on. So on, even like the most casual fan can be like, "Hey, that knee doesn't look great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that probably needs to be fixed." And so, uh, so Big Show, yeah, he drops Kurt Angle onto Paul Heyman, and so he, so Big Show leans over the ropes to check on Heyman, and so Kurt Angle scrambles around the ring on the outside. He's like hiding under, like on, on the side of it, which is fun. And he sneaks back in and he dumps Big Show out of the ring like it's the Royal Rumble. To like get get the advantage. I like that little moment there. And then Kurt tries to dr- jump Big Show on the outside, but he gets caught and dropped on the barricade. And then back in, Big Show throws Angle throat first over the top rope. So he's just tossing him around in there. And uh, back in, we're back inside again, and, and Big Show gets a suplex for two. And then Michael Cole marvels about Big Show's 64-inch chest, which I guess is impressive, but I've always kind of like struggled with body measurements and how they're impressive. It's like 64 inches sounds like a lot, but I don't know how big a chest is anyway, especially back <laughs> when I was like a 15 or 14 year old or whatever. Yeah. It's hard to conceptualize, you know, what, what that means. I mean, I don't, is like, is your, is your chest size what you have for a jacket? I believe so. So it's like, usually, you know, some guys, at least we've got like my size, like it's like a, it's like in the forties. So 64 is quite a bit bigger. It's like, if I was like quite a bit larger, which makes sense, it's big show. I don't but know it, though. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a 38, and and like 64 is less than, um, less than double that. And I kind of would have thought that uh, Big Show would be like maybe like three times my size. Right. I'm not impressed by 64 inches now that you now that you mention it. Fair enough. Uh, but uh, Chris, before I was like, he kind of looks like he's got a Big Show size, but you're not, eh? I was just before I was kind of like, he just seems like he could be like you know seven feet tall, 500 pounds. Uh, me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, I I don't get mistaken for the big show very often. No, I mean, okay, here's the thing: I can see you on video right now. The 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 podcast fans will not be yeah seeing that. Uh, Chris does not look anything like Big Show. <laughs> he's he's a considerably better shape than Big well, Show. Well, they they do say the TV adds ten pounds, so so maybe it's just like this particular view of me, like slouched over, uh, slouched over the couch. Unfortunately, the viewers can't see my like. Fucking awesome Kabuki Warriors T-shirt. Oh, that's what that I'm is. Proud okay. of my Kabuki Warrior T-shirt. You're, yeah, the listeners won't be able to see that. Um, oh, but yeah, they do say the uh, um, TV ads. Um, I guess uh, maybe like 300 pounds and uh, a foot and a half. In my case, right. a horrifying t- a camera that is. So after we hear about Big Show's chest, uh, Big Show hits an Eye of the Hurricane, which Michael Cole calls uh, a final cut for two, where you have him like have him in a reverse DDT and then you drop your elbow on him, which is kind of a weird thing for Big Show to do to him. Uh, the chant, cr- the crowd starts to chant USA, which I will take as meaning uh, a sign of support for Kurt Angle, but it's extra funny considering Big Show is from the USA. Right. Even, yeah, I was thinking from, the same yeah. thing. Like, He's not even from a different ethnic background. Like so they've chanted that before, where it's like uh, they ch- they chanted it actually during an Eddie Guerrero Kurt Angle match, and it's like, well, Eddie Guerrero's from uh, El Paso, <laughs> Texas, guys, uh, and so that just makes people people seem like they're racist. But here they just seem I don't know if they're dumb or they're just kind of like whatever. He's the USA guy. We all understand that. <laughs> so it's like all right. Yeah, I mean, I guess heels are less American. That's true. Yeah. What's uh, what? Yeah. But, which your mileage may vary if that makes sense for uh, Americans and being the good good people or not. So Big Show has uh, Kurt Angle in a bear hug, and so Kurt Angle bites his way out of it. And then uh, Angle jumps on his back, and he gets a sleeper hold. And then Big Show, he, he wrestles with him for a little bit, and then Big Show gets out of that as well. And then uh, Kurt goes up for this, this tornado DDT, and he kind of gets it. He doesn't really like, land on his back, and uh, but it, it's more of a face buster, but it works pretty well. And then uh, Kurt Angle drops Big Show with a dropkick to the knee, like we saw last week on SmackDown, which worked out very well then. 
And then he falls up with this pretty perfect missile dropkick from the top rope. Again, his knee is going to be scoped shortly, and he's hitting missile dropkicks from the top rope. Uh, that gets two, even though I'm sure that was not a fun thing for him to do. And then Big Show whips Kurt Angle in the corner. And Kurt, in one motion, hops onto the top turnbuckle. Doesn't climb up. He hops onto the top one. Like he's a friggin' cruiserweight. And then he launches himself in a moonsault onto Big Show. He hits a standing moonsault from the top rope on Big Show. But Big Show barely catches him. And Kurt ends up like kind of like landing on his neck a little bit too, which is a little bit scary. You know what? I wasn't sure exactly what that was supposed to be. It definitely looked awkward. Right. Uh, the, the commentator said, I forget which one, this is, uh, oh, he kicked him in the head. So they tried to kind of. He did uh, get him in the head with his foot, but it was yeah. the point of it. Yeah, yeah that sure. was the only, the only contact uh, that, that occurred. But uh, yeah, I was wondering if that was, if that was a botch or just a really weird move I'd never seen before. Yeah, it was. Uh, it looked a little, a little bit scary that we didn't get him there. So then, Big Show lifts uh, Kurt up in a power bomb. Kurt escapes for it, and then Kurt kind of goes to the sort of like head scissors, but Big Show pushes him off. And then Angle reaches under underneath Big Show and he hits an angle slam on the guy. And Michael Cole even gets to do his best uh, version of Jr. calling a Stone Cold Stunner by yelling "Angle slam! Angle slam! Angle slam!" And the crowd is on their feet, even though it just gets two. Uh, Chris, what did you think of that angle slam? I mean, pretty impressive. Anybody yeah. picking up the Big Show, um, particularly if you're not Brock Lesnar, uh, pretty darn cool. Yeah, just like hoist him like that. It's amazing. So Kurt drops the straps. He goes for the ankle lock, which I think seems extra smart because Big Show's a big dude and probably can't move that easily. I mean, probably can't. We know he can't move that easily. Mm-hmm. He struggled. And uh, Big Show reverses it, but then he goes for a choke slam, and Angle rolls through that. He gets an ankle lock again. And so Big Shaw, Big Shaw, Big Show is clawing at referee Mike Kyoto because he's he's in the ankle lock. And Mike Kyoto's down there to be like, hey, do you give up? And he's just like pawing at him. And so Mike Kyoto like kind of like gets up to like get away from Big Show and his desperation grabs. And he he go, walks behind Kurt Angle. And it's like, why is he in that position during a, a submission? It's kind of a weird choice. And so Big Show reverses it where uh, Kurt Angle flies backwards. And so he immediately knocks into Mike Kyoto, who gets knocked silly. Uh, during that reversal attempt. So uh, that's why he moved back there, so he could get knocked out of the match for a second. It was really one of the weakest ref bumps that I've probably ever seen. And ref bumps can be real weak, man. <laughs> they can yeah. be really weak, but that was like, I get that. There's even He even gets another one here in a moment. And so Paul Heyman has recovered from being, uh, having Kurt Angle dropped on him, and he gets, he gets a steel cherry, tosses it in, but everyone is down, and then the crowd starts to chant, we want Brock. Because they, they know the rest down. There's going to be some some action here. Mm-hmm. Kurt Angle and Big Show are up. Kurt Angle punts Big Show in the groin. He goes for a chair shot, but Big Show punches the chair. And so Kurt Angle simply just tries again, and he cracks Big Show on the head. And he covers him for the pin, but Mike Yoda only counts two. And when he, Because Big Show tosses Kurt Angle off of him. And when he tosses Kurt off of him, he puts him, lands him on Mike Yoda, who is again knocked out of it. Because he had uh, Kurt Angle just dropped on him again. Mm-hmm. So uh, Kurt goes for an ankle lock. And Big Show is tapping. There's no ref. This happens all the time for Kurt Angle. And then A-Train runs down. He gets on his train track, and he drives all the way down to the ring, and he breaks up the hold, and he hits the derailer backbreaker on Kurt Angle, where he lifts him on his back and drops down, which is very painful looking. And uh, the commentators tell us that that Paul Heyman looks shocked to see A-Train there, which is funny because it seems like they would be like, okay, so we see lying about that, but then the com- we also see A-Train, and he looks, uh, we see Paul Heyman react to it, and he seems very confused too. I'm not sure what the storyline is there. 
But uh, A-Train decided to help out his boy Big Show. And so back in, Big Show chokeslams Kurt Angle. And as soon as he does, the crowd gets very excited because Brock Lesnar is on his way to the ring. So Brock Lesnar gets in there. He picks up Big Show. He spins him around, hits the F5 on him, which always looks good. I will always watch. Uh, always be happy to see Brock Lesnar hitting F5s on really big dudes. Yeah, amazing. Um, it's amazing. It, like, like, it looks so good. And uh, we, when Brock gets back up, he sees Paul Heyman. And if I'm reading lips correctly, he looks at Paul Heyman and he says, you mother effer. And he chases Paul Heyman off. Well, he actually said the word. And so they, they, he chases him into the fiery entrance. And so Kurt Angle crawls over to the freshly F5 Big Show. He covers him, and he gets the one, the two, and the three to become the new WWE champion to a nice little reaction there. Well, yeah, with the really slow Kurt Angle crawl, um, along with the referee just you know finding his consciousness again after, yeah. uh, after a, a very light bump. Uh, knocked him totally unconscious, and so the ref the ref is coming to, and and even the count is really slow uh, because like I guess I guess the ref is just you know finding his wits again. So I thought it was uh, I thought the ending was really well done actually. Yeah, and I I love it too because as soon as he gets three, Angle like lets go of a Big Show's leg and kind of pops off it, and he has this like amazing very er- very honest athlete reaction of he's. His eyes are closed. His arms are stretched out. And it's like, I did it. I did it kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, it's awesome, uh, which I loved. And uh, I, and I like this match. I, I think it told a nice little story. Kurt Angle's trying to get in there. He's trying to chop down Big Show. He kind of gets it. Uh, there's kind of some, some messing around with the referee. And then his, uh, his plan worked out where Kurt Angle becomes champion, even though he's going to get some surgery on his knee. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what's going to happen. So it's a nice little match. You know, I guess they they needed to take the the belt off Big Show. Yeah, they they just they it seemed like they needed to just do this transition, right? Where they wanted to go. Okay, Brock has the title. We don't want him to have the title. We want him to chase the title mm-hmm. uh, right. to WrestleMania. Um, I'll talk about it late on another episode, probably. But uh, Kurt Angle contends that uh, he was told he was going to have the belt for over a year, like that he was going to go to WrestleMania and beat Brock Lesnar and keep going. Which I find that hard to believe, but it'll be interesting to kind of see if there's any hints of that in the weeks to come. Hmm. Supposedly that's what he said. Now, someone who is not on the way up in the world, but is at the world, is Rob Van Dam, who's at the world in Times Square in New York City. And they ask him, who do you think is going to win that match between uh, Triple H and Shawn Michaels? He thinks that Shawn Michaels will win. But then he also adds he likes when Triple H gets beat up. So he's a little bit, you know, he's just looking forward to seeing that. And so that leads to the final match of the evening, which we will not be covering in its totality. We'll, co- we'll talk about it a little bit, though which is uh, Triple H against Shawn Michaels for the World Heavyweight Championship. Shawn Michaels is the champion, and uh, this match is branded as three stages of hell. So it's like a two out of three falls match with this different gimmicks for each fall. And so it's three stages of hell. And so we see three. They even go, go so far as to give the three different match graphics. They say fall one, and they show Triple H and Shawn Michaels. They say street fight. They go fall two, and they show the guys again. They go cage match. They show fall three, if necessary, big wink, ladder match. So is this meant to be kind of like Dante's Inferno, Inferno, like the different <laughs> levels of hell? I mean, maybe that's what it's going to be like um, in the I would afterlife. Love is is you know you've, you've got your one circle is going to be like a um, you know Punjabi prison match, and right. then and then you've got sort of like a Falls Count anywhere in, in the next circle of hell. Yeah, I think that'd be good. I, I now I want to have a match where it's like you start off as a cage match, then it becomes a hell in a cell match, and like an elimination chamber match. Like things just get worse for you as time goes on, or if it gets smaller, that'd be interesting too. 
by the end, the, the, the final thrall is like a phone booth, and you're just like punching each other in the face. Okay, so three. So, the, but we only have three stages of hell. There's not going to yeah. be seven. No, unfortunately, there's not. You can't go down and see the devil in the ice <laughs> as Dante's Inferno, uh, which I studied in school because I had I had a classic uh, education in the liberal arts, which includes Dante. That's and pretty so, good. I mean, that's one of those books that, like, I mean, we're all kind of know what it's about or we're supposed to that's right. but you're probably the first person that i've met who has actually read it well yeah i mean if you don't read it you're not going to find out uh, who the florentines that dante is uh, inserted in hell are the people that he wants to, the, the way he got his disses in he was like ah that lady down the street she's mean to me she's in the sixth circle of hell no spoilers, Matt. I mean, what if what if one day I decide to just you know pick it up and I'm sorry, I'm trying to I'm trying to be vague <laughs> about it. There, I encourage you to to give it a shot. There, uh, Penguin has a good translation of it. There, it's all about the translations, folks. You could get your Oxford University Press one if you want to. I find those ones are obviously for good reason, a little bit more academic. But if you want something that reads a little better, flows a little better, you got to get yourself a Penguin. I think it's easier. Penguin. All right. That's right. That's my recommendation here on the podcast for your uh, literary needs. I just lapsed into my university years again. Wow. Gosh, speaking of speaking of wrestling. Uh, so we watched a video package for this match, and we see Triple H is reacting to finding out about the three falls. And, like, he's excited about it. He's like, street fight, yeah, cage match, all right. And then, like, the final fall is a ladder match. And he gets all serious. He's like, oh, no, that's Shawn Michaels' territory. Mm-hmm. And so after the video package, we have everybody come out, and Shawn Michaels – has a confetti drop during his entrance. That's another thing that seems like a bad sign to me, because I think otherwise you want to have confetti after you won. But he's still celebrating his victory from last month. This is the thing. Like These guys win the titles of Survivor Series, and now they're going to not necessarily win them tonight. I mean, maybe they would just drop more confetti after he wins the match. Maybe they'll put it like, drop like gold coins, or like chocolate gold coins, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would have seen it as an ominous sign, that uh, an omin- ominous sign that they dropped confetti, but, uh, but you I, see what's coming, I guess. I know, exactly. I have the uh, the benefit of being uh, omniscient. So before the match starts, Ric Flair gets ejected, which is dumb because this is a straight fight. Because, like, ha- like, what happens if you don't, like, okay, so if he shows them he interferes, you can't disqualify him. Or if you send him away and he comes back, what happens if he comes back? Who cares? Like, he's not, you can't do anything about that. Yeah, and, and a yeah. street fight, I mean, you can kick someone away from the ring, but the street fight could presumably follow Ric Flair anywhere. That's right. If you send him to his dressing room, like, maybe the match will just go, go there anyway. He could still interfere. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, this is a raw match. And uh, so I'm just going to hit, hit the conclusion for each fall, which I think is probably like a good way, good, good middle ground here. So uh, in a street fight, so something that happens at least early on in the street fight is that uh, they, they fight to the entrance, and Triple H goes back and he finds a barbed wire, um, a, a barbed wire two by four which is kind of a, a thing that he started finding after wrestling with um, Mick Foley. And so he goes to the entrance, which has fire on it, and he lights a two-by-four on fire. And he goes to hit Shawn Michaels with it, but Shawn Michaels gets it, and he hits Tri- Triple H instead. So he hits him with a flaming two-by-four, the flaming barbed wire two-by-four specifically, which seems like it could hurt, but also the fire would cauterize the wound right away. So, you know, you're really kind of hitting him with some medicine. It's maybe not the most scientific way of understanding it, but... It's come up before. So, yeah, so uh, back in the ring after that 2 by 4 incident, Triple H chop blocks Shawn Michaels after a kip-up because it seemed like he was going to go for sweet chin music, so he just takes the legs out from under him and hits a pedigree for the pin, and that is one nothing. Triple H, who has won the street fight. And uh, so next, the cage descends. 
And it's funny, as the cage is descending, uh, Jerry Lawler's like, they're not going to have a break between falls. And it's like, well, they have to wait for the cage to come down. So that's kind of a break, Jerry. That was a strange thing for him to say. So <laughs> during the cage match, so Ric Flair just opens the door to the cage and walks in. <laughs> Uh, which is uh, there's a referee there who is just kind of like not really putting any effort to prevent him from doing so. He's just kind of standing there being like, Hey, don't do that. It's like, Hey, if you guys want to have an easy target for mugging, I would mug the ref after the show because he's just gonna go, Hey, can you not do that? He's not gonna put up a fight, he's just gonna let you do what you want to do. Meeker than Al Wilson, yeah. How is that's possible? Al, maybe Al should have been a ref, that could have been a fun little twist. He's just like, and it, like, he's got all this issue going on with Don Marie and Tori, but then also he's just like ref and cruiserweight matches. I mean, I. I would be frankly surprised if there wasn't a Don Marie Tory match where he was the ref. I Has mean, this I, not happened? I not yet. And if they don't do that, that will absolutely be a missed opportunity. And that's I, a very good point. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Shawn Michaels evades Ric Flair's attacks during the cage match. Hits sweet chin music on Ric Flair. He hits Triple H with sweet chin music as well, and then he puts him on top of a table, uh, which also made its way into the ring at one point. And he hits a splash from the top of the cage through the table for the pin. And so it's 1-1. Shawn Michaels takes the cage match. And so last fall is a ladder match. And so Shawn knocks Triple H outside. He sets up the ladder very slowly. He sets up the ladder and then climbs very slowly, specifically. And the Triple H comes in at the last moment. And he pushes the ladder over onto a stack of tables on the outside, which Shawn crashes through. And uh, Shawn felt kind of awkwardly uh, because... Okay, so here's the thing. So... It's a ladder match. There's a double table stack on the outside where there's two tables that are next to each other. And on top of those two tables are two tables. Now, famously, this has happened a couple times before in like a TLC match uh, where I think it was Bubba Ray and Matt Hardy. Maybe they're the top of the ladder. They get pushed off and the guys, they both fall flat onto the tables. And so it doesn't hurt that much because you're falling through. I mean, it's supposed to look like it hurts more because you're going through a table, but it breaks your fall because if you just fell to the outside and fell down, you'd like break your shoulder or die. And so they just kind of fall through flat and they hit go through both of them. But Sean kind of like tumbles down at an awkward angle. So he hits one chair, one table, falls through that one, hits diagonally through the other one. And then the table that is on top of him, he took it out, but not the table above. And so the table kind of lands on him. And so as he's falling through, he has to like push the table away from him so it doesn't get hurt by it, which is like kind of awkward because it makes him seem like he's more conscious in that situation mm-hmm. instead of like he should just be dead from falling through tables. But he has to like kind of fame like, ah, table got off of me, which is too bad. And uh, so with that, Triple H climbs up, grabs the belt to win the final fall of the match in the World Heavyweight title. Uh, and I looked at the the, uh, the timing for this. The ladder match portion of this match is only like seven minutes long, which is like lame. This is a famously long match anyway. But the idea that you're going to have a ladder match and you're only seven minutes long is like, that's kind of lame. I don't like that. Well, maybe they were reading the crowd, you know. Oh, maybe. I mean – yeah, the thing about the ladder match after having a street fight in a cage match is like the first time someone falls out of the ring, they should be hurt enough that you can go climb the ladder because it's not like you start over with like a new health bar. Well, you do. That is kind of how WWE works in these, you know, best of three fall matches. You you can't just go and pin the guy immediately after you you've pinned him. Yeah, they have uh, everybody has a health bar here. So mm-hmm. all is right in the world. Triple H is world heavyweight champion again. Uh, even though he's like he was injured a lot of the match, like he had like a big, uh, big taped up uh, quad. Uh, so he, uh, so yeah, so he he had this big title reign that Shawn Michaels ended at Survivor Series. Then Triple H is going to pick it back up again after having it down for um, a little bit there, and Triple H is victorious to close out Armageddon. So Chris, what are your final thoughts on this Armageddon 2002 pay per view? Well, you know what. I think that I'm a little bit biased because um, when we're taping this show, 
this podcast, it, there have been a number of really, really great WWE pay-per-views. Uh, the most recent one being Elimination Chamber and then the Royal Rumble. This is all in the the COVID era uh, for you listeners in the future who no longer have to deal with COVID and and are remembering what it was like. Right. Uh, so yeah, even in this this uh, Thunderdome era, we've had so many great pay per views recently, and so I honestly didn't think this measured up. And frankly, I'm glad I didn't pay the money to order this and i decided to wait um some um 19 20, years wait how many years <laughs> 19 years 19 years and watch it for free on the wwe network uh using someone else's subscription it's a good way to do it yeah it's, and this is about what this, the show deserves money wise there i like the smackdown matches i watch but you know uh by and large I didn't. I didn't mind the Triple H Shawn match. I think that if you watch the Triple H Shawn matches, you like do your dishes or something like that. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I think if you're gonna like sit down and dedicate and be like, I'm gonna spend 38 minutes watching a classic wrestling match, you're gonna be disappointed. Um, but and, and and I think about the December pay per view sandwich between Survivor Series and Royal Rumble. Generally forgettable. Not always true, but I think of it as fairly forgettable. This one has a lot going on. This title changes. This big thing's happening. Uh, that yeah, said, I mean, you wouldn't expect yeah. that that at Armageddon, you'd have two world title changes. Yeah, exactly. And not only that, but the big reveal of what happened in room 357. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up, because that was really not good. (laughs) So that's the only thing that would be like, uh, yeah, that would knock it down a peg or two for me. So I would say using our our rating system here, if here comes the pain being bad, shut your mouth being eh, and just bring it, I would give this a just bring it. That's what I would say. Is it just the bad one again? Here comes the pain. You know what? I'm actually, hmm. you know what? With the exception of of Chris versus Eddie, I'm gonna have to give it. Uh, here comes the pain. Okay, a little bit of difference there. So, yeah, your mileage may vary on this show, guys. If you're listening to it and gals, uh, and uh, yeah, so check it out and see if you are more of a Chris or more of a Matt. So we'll see. That's what it's like on the podcast, right? It's not like it's Sex in the City, where like I'm such a Samantha. It's like <laughs> oh, I'm such a Chris. I'm such a Matt. It's gonna be so, like little, like little polls on BuzzFeed, you know, yeah. can, can figure out which, uh, uh, which which guest on the pod you are. Yeah, you're like, oh, I'm a Daniel. Oh, weird. <laughs> I'm a Will Young. I wouldn't have thought that. Anyway, all good opportunities here. And so, and if you look like seven feet tall on video, then you could be a Chris. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. If you uh, if you kind of live up to that that Big Show esque look when you're on video. <laughs> yes. So next week's show that we're covering on the podcast will be the December 19th, 2002 episode of SmackDown. We're kind of close to Christmas 2002, folks. It'll be very exciting. So join us next week to hear all about it. Uh, Chris Dimitrenko, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Super happy to be here again. The end is near. Uh, the end is here, really. And we're coming to the end of a podcast, and uh, we will see you guys next week on the SmackDown 6 podcast. Or rather, you'll hear from us.